Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. I'm Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by uh, three leading ITAM professionals, uh, which I'll introduce you to in a second. Becky Trevino, Snow Software. Uh, Becky is VP Product Marketing and also self-proclaimed cloud nerd, according to your LinkedIn profile, Becky. Welcome. Thank you. What's a, what's a cloud nerd? What, what, do you, uh, what do you get excited about there? What, what are you nerdy about with cloud? You know, I came from Rackspace, which is a managed services provider. So I started working in cloud, the infrastructure portion of cloud, circa 2012. And why I call myself a cloud nerd is, you know, it's it's something that you, nerd part is it's something that you do in your spare time. So when I'm not working, I actually read about cloud. I actually will sit there and I have a magazine on Flipboard that's dedicated to cloud computing and I follow cloud trends. I, I sit some of those Rich Gibbons articles, I read through a lot of them. So it's something that I spend my spare time, not that anyone pays me to do it. It's just something I really enjoy learning a lot about. I'm not going to mock you because I'm an ITAM specialist. So <laughs> who am I to judge? Who am I to judge what you do in your spare time? Welcome. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. Corey uh, from Zylo, uh, co-founder and chief customer officer at Zylo. Uh, what, what's one of the, what, what does one of those do, Corey? What's a chief customer officer? Hey, hey, Martin. Thanks for having me. Chief customer officer at Zylo is really responsible for all things customer related, whether it be our platform, our services, thought leadership, really taking care of that existing customer base, ensuring that we are building for the future and building out SaaS management in large enterprise. Cool. Thank you. And finally, we're joined by Matthias Nops, uh, now at USU, formerly Aspera. And Matthias, I know that you went over to the US for a little while. You're back in Germany and you have the title of Managing Director. What, what, does, what does that mean? Yeah, that's true. Well, Managing Director is the, I think it's kind of a German translation uh, or a translated term that it, it's basically a co-CEO. So we have three managing directors and we're sharing responsibility for the, for the organization. I'm uh, responsible for product management and product uh, development and customer service. So these three areas fall under me, whereas two, uh, where I have two um, colleagues who are responsible for sales and the other one for consulting and services. So that's how we split the responsibility there. So all three, thank you very much for joining the podcast. We have a, a specific topic in mind, and the working title for this podcast is The Missing Gartner Quadrant, which we'll explain in a second. When I started the ITAM review back in 2008, Gartner did a, a quadrant on the asset repository which um, was a little bit removed from what we were doing around the SAM space. That slowly petered out. And I was quite excited when they bought the Magic Quadrant um, to market. And I think it's a great watermark. It's a great demonstration of the maturity of a market when, when Gartner does a quadrant in a certain area. So I was quite pleased when they did it. But they decided to withdraw that. And I'd love to get your views on that. Before we go into the whys and wherefores of why they might have removed it and what they might do in the future, I'd love to know from your perspective as tool manufacturers, what does the 
Gartner Magic Quadrant mean for you? What 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 role does it play? Becky, if I don't if you don't mind if I could come to you first, what does the magic quadrant mean for Snow? What what's what what does what role does it play in the marketing toolbox? The marketing toolbox plays a really important role. So B2B sales tends to be a long sales cycle, and that's where somebody in the organization has to identify that there's a problem and then get a number of people within that company to decide that yes, investment in a particular tool in this strategy that yes, that problem should be fixed and a tool is a right mechanism to fix that problem. And that's to some degree risk for the person that you know, chooses to raise their hand with, with A, there's a problem and B, I have an idea how to fix it. And so where the Gartner Magic, uh, magic Quadrant, particularly for Sam and any Magic Quadrant, helps these individuals who raise their hands to de-risk that decision is, well, not only do I think this is a problem, but Gartner, one of the leading thought uh, leaders in, in the technology industry, they also see it as a problem. And it's a big enough problem that others uh, are creating solutions for it. It's worthy of a market and consideration. And so with that, it provides validation to the people who are out there on, uh, on the ground trying to make that position, trying to sell ITAM, for example, within their organization. It says, look, this is important enough and other organizations are selling it. And in addition, once that problem is validated, it's important enough, the next step is, well, which tool provider should I, should I choose? Which vendor should I choose? And the Magic Quadrant helps justify whoever it is that that individual wants to sell, whether they want somebody that's a niche category, a leader, it just facilitates and makes it easier for that buying cycle and the person who's raising their hand to try to get that sale through. And Corey, any, any view on this? What's the role yeah. in it? Yeah, and I think Becky put that really, really well. You know, when I think about it from uh, the manufacturer's perspective, um, the Magic Quadrant really provides that first view into trending and uh, future pacing your organization for what, how to plan, how to, how to align your strategy to industry standards. And it provides that early buyer education. Uh, I, I often share with a lot of folks that prior to launching Xylo, I spent 15 years in various procurement finance type roles where I worked side by side with SAM leaders. And it was, it was very often that SAM leaders would wait for that, that, that Gartner report or reach out to their Gartner analysts to understand and start to articulate what their strategies would be over the coming year. And the Magic Quadrant really played a central role in that. So I would say it's, it's, it's early on buyer education uh, around, and strategy around how they're going to be building out their business. You know, you had mentioned something, Martin, very quickly. It's a watermark, right? And, and you know, Xylo is a SaaS management provider that, that is adjacent to SAM tools today. And for us, it's a, a and it would be an early watermark or validation of the space that we're building, you know, to be able to include new features, new functionality and new value alongside other IT asset management tools. Uh, I think that's a, a big part of what the Magic Quadrant plays. And then to Becky's earlier point, boy, de-risking that, that that selection, uh, she hit the nail on the head there. Uh, leaders need to be able to point to objective third parties, educated objective third parties to be able to justify decision-making and long-term strategies. And so Gartner plays uh, a very valuable role in providing that insight into players in, in certain markets. And for people that are, that are needing a little bit of guidance while evaluating tools like software asset management platforms. Cool, thank you. Matthias, any, any views to add here? 
Um, a little bit. So um, when we're talking about the magic quadrant, we are actually talking about two separate well, documents, files, depictions, if you will. So one is the graphic, obviously, everybody knows the quadrant itself, and then you, you have the leader and you have the challenger and the niche player and so on. So uh, that can be like a very high level uh, map of potential candidates to talk to if you are in the market for a SAM solution. Um, I think the more um, in-depth analysis um, is the uh, critical capability um, uh, report or capabilities report, I think it's called, um, which is a, a little longer document that goes a little bit more into the details. It's still on a very high level, but I think that gives you a real um, feel for the different solutions, whereas the, the graphics itself is just, uh, it, it's very easy to consume, very easy to understand, but it's also a, a little bit of a, um, I wouldn't say misleading, well, misleading is, is really wrong because it's, it's obviously based on facts, but it is, um, you, you just get an idea who you should invite for a, let's say for a proof of concept or a demo or something like this. Um, which means that uh, from our experience, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of customers are talking to the top three, top four uh, manufacturers on that list. And they see that really as a hierarchy list starting from the top right corner, obviously. And then they go down um, um, maybe first towards the left and then to the uh, towards towards the bottom but it is really uh, limiting the number of, uh, of of players that they would like to talk to because i mean if we uh, look at it like, like that the, um, the the or the process of selecting a tool of um that you know order of magnitude is a lot of work um you have to set up different meetings, different demos, uh, maybe different POCs that can take everything from a few days all the way to a few few months. And, and that really uh, puts a lot of uh, effort on, on the shoulders of the selecting team within the customer. Nobody really thinks about the vendor, obviously, but that's uh, that's the thing. Uh, that, that, uh, I think that's uh, just uh, how it is. And at the end, you have to make an, an educated decision. Now, traditionally, if you go with a recommendation that comes from from a uh, you know from a from from a big player like Gartner, you almost you cannot you almost cannot be wrong. So if you go with one of the Gartner leaders or challengers or so, then you should be right when you select that tool. But we all know it's not that easy. Sometimes um, the devil really is in the details, and uh, it really depends on what specific functionality you need or how the synergy or how the, the chemistry with uh, the vendor is better with one than with the other. Whatever, you know, um, in the very end decides um, or is the deciding momentum for that for that buying decision. So I think overall it is still um, kind of a map of, of an address list who you should talk to if you are in the market for a tool. Um, and, and then that's at least how we see this. And this is I'm going to interject because I think the ties brought up a great point. The critical capabilities part, I think is going to be the biggest part that I miss about the magic quadrant because it, it as he outlines, it enables you to read if you're in that buyer cycle, just into, into cater in a way that the quadrant itself, the diagram doesn't, because what makes snow a leader may not be what is actually important to a customer. They may look at something and say, oh, these capabilities where USU ranks higher than snow, may, maybe the right things for me and my business. So I, so I want to talk to them. And so I think that's really one, because I think that helps. That's where I part where I said, I think it helps the buyer tremendously, because when you're going through that, uh, that request for proposal and you're looking to 
to demo some of those concepts, it really helps the buyer say, well, what are some capabilities? Let's see what Gartner thought, really to kind of create their, their proposal of what they're looking for. It helps structure a lot of it. And I am going to miss that part of that report significantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree. And, but is, isn't part of the fear that they don't read the critical capabilities and they just look at the headline, which is the picture? Um, is I that think the that's definitely, I, I, you know, I've experienced that in my career. I think that's definitely the concern. I, I, I think seeing emerging players, you know, from, a, from our perspective at Zylo, you know, when we built our business early on, it was one of our goals to, to make the magic quadrant, to be the, one of those emerging partners. Um, but that, that leaves everything else by the wayside. So if you're just looking at that graphic, you're just making a, a quick decision and you're probably basing that decision early on based on that de-risking concept where that critical capabilities report out allows you to truly get a kickstart on understanding the market in a much bigger way. So yeah, I, I, I would view that as a risk early on and just looking at the quadrant only. I think um, it also provides a bit of a filter, doesn't it? Because I hear your point in terms of just picking the top three or four, but I know other companies that look at every company that's on there because if they're on there, they must have passed a level of scrutiny with Gartner in terms of size and revenue. And if we work with them, they're not going to disappear. They're not a mum and pop shop, you know, that are going to disappear next week. I mean, if you if you would really choose a tool like that from just looking at a picture, I think that would be um, kind of a ridiculous you know decision process because, as I said, not only is it something that involves a um, a large array of different functions in your organization to not only implement it, but also provide it with the necessary data and so on. So this is usually a little bit of a bigger decision. And um, it's it's not just a, just one software that you buy. I mean, it, it has so many ties and so many different systems. So I think um, expecting somebody to not only look at a picture, but also reading through a, what is it, like 12, 15, 18 pages uh, report at least before you invite people, I think that's not too much to ask. And and uh, I have rarely um, talked to any customer who uh, or prospect who didn't at least read the, the full report. If they are in the Gartner um, ecosystem somewhere, then they know about this and then they usually consume the full report. And again, I think they are just, um, you know, two sides of the same apple. Now there is a different fee for the critical capabilities report. So often, often I, I cannot say I've been, I found any customer in our sales cycle that hadn't at least claimed to have read through the whole report, which oftentimes a vendor will give for free. There's an additional cost to the vendor to give the critical capabilities report. And this last cycle, Snow gave both that, that we would provide uh, our customers with. So Matthias has a good point that if they're not part of the Gartner network, there's a cost for them uh, to do it. And, and, but if you are part of the Gartner network, it's, it's part of their subscription fees. So people more than likely are both you know, reading at least the quadrant and oftentimes they'll speak to one of the analysts about the report. Yeah, I, I think the details are lost when you're looking at that image. You've got to get to those critical capabilities. And what I've seen uh, happen most often when, when leaders are looking only at the magic quadrant is they just make large assumptions that vendors are all the same or vendors are very similar. If they're all in one segment of that magic quadrant, well, they're, they're about the same, I'll pick those three and we'll move forward. Or if they're looking at a, a certain 
uh, type of capability and, and they're not sure how to get to that, they'll get a look at that graphic and be able to say, hey, I'm justified, I'm going out to the top three vendors that Gartner is, is outlining and we're gonna move forward. And they just make an assumption that, you know, a, a software asset management provider is a software asset management provider is an asset management provider. So I, I, I definitely agree with the group here that that critical capabilities needs to drive that early education and decision-making process. So we've mentioned that it's a good um, benchmark for the industry, and yet they've decided to withdraw it, at least for now. Any view on why that might have been? I have a view. I understand that there was just, a, there's, there's many reasons. I, I've spoken to a lot of members of, of SNOW that have varying opinions, but I'm speaking with Gartner, and you, uh, it was, there was just a lot of change going on in the industry, that they believe that there's something new to come, that they were seeing that, you know, Corey has is, is an SMP. There's SMP. There were standards. There was just so much change going on within the within what we considered software asset management that it was being difficult to just classify that as a market. So they were going to use that time to go back and research and figure out what was next. So at least that was the what I understood. I don't know if Matthias and Corey, if you guys heard something different. No, I, I heard similar um, similar things internally, Becky, that, that you did. What I love is that uh, what I think they're taking their time to do is to broaden what, what software asset management or just software management looks like in the enterprise. Uh, I think they're looking at what software is. Kind of the decision I made, boy, five, six years ago when we decided to launch Zylo as an SMP, you know, software is fundamentally changing. The concepts remain the same. The concepts of risk mitigation and optimization and, and planning and governance, they're all the same, but the tactics in which you take to be able to uncover those opportunities and action on them are very, very different. So by definition, software is changing and a lot of organizations are adopting not only software, um, platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, uh, and they need tools to be able to manage those assets the way they do with, with traditional software asset management solutions today. And if we know anything, we know growth is not stopping and, and the, the variability of, of software and subscription services is not stopping anytime soon. I think, I think Gartner themselves predict, at least in the SaaS space, uh, spending is going to be 140 billion in 2022 and that those are 16% increases year over year. So we see a big transformation of the software asset management space. Um, it's not going away. It's going to be redefined as something much, much larger. And, and we see proof of that. You know, we see proof of that in our customers that are uh, standing up SMPs next to their software asset management providers. And I, I, I love having Mateus on the on the call today. You know, we work seamlessly with USU to to push our data into their platform in many many cases with our customers because those customers are looking for a single view of the various types of assets that they, that they've got internally. Um, so I'm super excited about the redefinition of this quadrant uh, and pretty optimistic about how this will turn out in the future, kind of broadening what that looks like. So you're fairly certain that's going to happen? Um, I, I, I'm decently certain. I, I don't want to be overconfident, but I, I think, as, listen, software asset management is critical. It's critical. We hear it every day. It's critical in, in every one of our, uh, our customers in every large enterprise. The variability of it is just that it's it's changing and there needs to be more of a, a broader view on how you manage the different technologies and how they're entering your ecosystem and how you're utilizing those. So 
we're pretty bullish on on where this is headed in that it'll it'll transform into a larger ITM overview and, and broaden software asset management, which is a win-win for everyone. I'll say Martin, I really thought that they were gonna come out with TAM, like technology asset management. That was my guess. I assumed that there was going to be a change and a shift, and I thought it was gonna go from SAM to TAM and that it was gonna take a broader scope. And 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 I thought there was gonna be enough in the industry that there could have been a variety of different players already there, but it provided a perspective. I really did think that. I really thought that that was going to be a scope. How we would play it, I didn't know, but I, I was really prepared for that as we were gearing up for the next entry. So it, it definitely came as a surprise to me. Um, I am hopeful, as, as Corey is, that there's going to be something else coming out. But um, it has been, I think there was, there was a variety of shift within ownership of the Magic Quadrant of folks who had left or still on it. And so I hadn't seen some of the things in, in two plus years of managing it. Um, and so I did think that there was going to be something else and that this would have been a good opportunity to do that. Um, so I'm hopeful, but I do worry about the gap in, in time that we'll have. Um, and why, why TAM? What, can you expand on why that? I, think, I, I thought the technology asset management is one of the things I like about ITAM and just Sam is that we would understand that it's more about the technology it's, itself. As Corey mentioned, that there's a, a growth in SaaS applications and, and cloud infrastructure applications, and that more uh, of professionals are going to have to start looking at those different technology spends and areas of compliance around them. So that was my my thought that it was going to expand that definition beyond what traditionally had been in SAM. Because we uh, at Snow, for example, we had two two Gartner magic quadrants: C, uh, the cloud management platform as well as the software asset management platform um, and Q. And in order to have a view of cloud plus SaaS and enterprise applications, you almost had to merge those two quadrants. So I thought that there would be a merger between SAM and CMP from an economics perspective into one. That's why I, in that they would have called it TAM or something else. Um, I'm a marketer, so I, would have, I probably would have called it TAM. I don't, I don't mind that definition either, Becky. That's what I would have, that's what I, that's what I assumed was going to happen. Yeah. And it, it, you know, some of this might be following some of the more recent changes in the industry. You know, we look at some of our customers looking at ISO standards, 19770 standards, and, and those were revamped in the, in the somewhat recent history to address broader complexity and control for the challenges of IT assets. And that's hardware and software, but really across your infrastructure, which is on-prem SaaS platform and infrastructure as a service. So we see other standards out there that are adapting to the to the fast-changing landscape of technology, um, and, and I think Gartner sees that as well. And additionally, sees sort of the explosion of the the SMP space to be able to address um, cloud and subscription software. And I think it's kind of forced their hand into rethinking and, and broadening what it'll look like, but. Technology, technology asset management, uh, I think is great. I, when we launched our company, I always said, software asset management is not on-prem client server installed software versus cloud. I think inevitably it'll just come back to software asset management and it includes everything under that umbrella. Yeah, and I think our, our current definition of software, where software has to reside, has to change. Um, I might be a little bit too German in my opinion, but I think it's just, it, it's about money. I think uh, if, if you, uh, I mean, we, we gone, we've gone through uh, Magic Quadrants now, I think through three of them or so, three tool and one services. And it's a lot of work on our end. And of course, all of that output that we generate has to be consumed, has to be 
uh, evaluated. And if I look at the number of contestants, during, or like if the, if you can call it a contestant, um, in in those reports, then it's a lot of work on on the gardener side too. Plus, you obviously um, you, you you put your name on it, so therefore it has to be a, um, a diligent work and so on and so forth. I think they couldn't make enough money with it. That's why they they stopped doing it. Otherwise, they would have of course stuck with it because after all Gartner is not only providing us with some great insights but they're a company then they all make money right so I, I think that that might be one reason I don't know that this is pure speculation of course I think the merge with other uh, quadrants or other reports in that in that area or even you know preparing for something bigger um, is is a likely scenario could happen no problem and at the same time uh, I, I know that more and more um, you know customers and, and and also the analysts realize that just choosing a tool doesn't really cut it so you always have to have the combination of the tool and the people running that tool because no um, SAM solution in the world is a set and forget kind of application. So you always have to, you know, implement it and, and work with the customer and finesse the data that is running into the system or that's that's uploaded in the system and you have to do something with it. And even if you have your your results, then you still need somebody to help usually customers to um, you know interpret it um, unless they have their own really SAM specialists on board. So it's it's usually an interaction between technology and people and, and, and expertise. And so maybe um, the, the, the pure look at the toolage itself was a little bit too short. That might be another another reason. Again, I don't know, I'm just speculating here. Um, but uh, Gartner will certainly have uh, have had a, a, a good reason to seize this. Uh, otherwise, we, we would still uh, you know, see it uh, coming through. I like your point, Corey, about the um, ISO standard because it, it is now asset agnostic. So the asset, it's not just a case of broaden it from software to hardware, but it's also broaden it to any asset. So it could be a hospital bed or a IoT monitor, or it could be anything that the business owns that's digital. So, uh, and Becky, I like, I like the TAM. I hope that Gartner are as pragmatic as you are and call it TAM rather than some strange acronym. Uh, I think TAM would work with 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 a lot of us. Um, so, what what else could what else is useful in this industry? Do you think that that could help us grow um, at the ITAM forum? Uh, we are exploring how we define the size of the market. So, for example, of the 100 largest customers in the world, how many of them are actually doing ITAM to a good degree of maturity? I'd love to know that definitively. What else do you think would be useful that would help you uh, in your roles, help the industry, help your companies? I like what you just said in terms of, you know, what are these top 100 companies and are they using software asset management, IT asset management in some way, shape or form? Because that, that's what's a bit perplexing coming into the industry is there's, this is such great tooling. There's such promise from, from the asset discovery inventory normalization, from the ability to lower costs, the ability to just see everything. Why, why don't more companies use this? And it's, it's for the, for the, the individuals that, that that take the, I don't know if I call it burden, but take the challenge to really promote ITAM tools in their companies, they really take on a lot of work. I noticed that it's a, it's a very large 
education effort that they take on in terms of selling this to their to their organizations as to why it's needed. And given the amount of just sheer dollars that can be saved in this market, it's a bit surprising as to why organizations don't choose choose it more. I did when I onboarded onto Snow, I actually met with a, uh, a CIO that I is part of my network and I asked about it. And he said, Becky, you know what it is? Sometimes I can't, I, I struggle with this with the selling point of lowering my costs because it's not really till the cost for me. It's like there have been so many of these projects that have promised me that I was going to lower costs that I really didn't invest in it. And so there has to be some better ways to approach it. And I always took that to heart because I originally came in. There's massive opportunity. And I was like, okay, maybe the CIOs don't care about that lowering cost message the way I thought that they would have. So I think finding out just the why we have the challenge and sharing that more broadly and how we can overcome it as an industry, I think would help everybody. Thank you. I really like that lens that you <clears throat> brought that up through. I think there's a couple components there and I would agree with you. You know, I, I think as we look at what ITAM is, it needs to become much more relevant to the CIO. I, I don't believe that the number one focus for CIOs is cost optimization, you know, uh, in specific areas, I think I think the first thing that needs to happen is an ongoing redefinition of what ITAM is. You know, traditional software and assets, and you know, maybe wireless and telco and things like that have traditionally been there, but constantly updating that for the fast-growing technology landscape. Uh, IT asset management needs to be very, very broad because of how strategic it is to every single organization. And, and in much the way that, that software has exploded, that, that's some of that industry research. Software has become you know, completely decentralized, completely democratized in every single business and truly understanding what's important to the CIO and what's important to driving company strategy is, is really important here as ITAM redefines itself. Software is one of the most strategic categories inside a business. It drives employees. We're, we're speaking on software. I'm taking notes on software while I have my, my email solution up and running. It, it, it employs every single piece of my work. So redefining what that is as technology moves very quickly is number one. And redefining what's important to CIOs. So I would stress you know, um, for the growth of the ITAM market, really understanding the CIO better. Because what the CIO cares about is employee effectiveness, employee engagement, and how their employees are able to drive more value using the tooling that they're using today. And that's not always an optimization or a risk focus. It's really a, a, an accelerator to innovation uh, and effectiveness within their business. I'd say the last component there for us is, you know, uh, industry research for this, this market is, uh, really diving into emerging spaces. And I, that's probably a self-serving statement, um, but you know, software asset management and, and SaaS, SaaS solutions have really grown very, very quickly. It's still very new. Um, for context, you know, Xylo was the first in the market and we're turning five next month. So we, we see it'll be a few years before we see dedicated research, industry research, but with, with the evolution of the market, software, technology, and the redefinition of what it is, and the realignment to the CIO, uh, I, I think this category has a lot of potential, a lot of a high ceiling going forward. Could I just um, unpick what you said there in terms of the CIO and uh, user experience? Um, or was it user experience? W could you just 
Yeah, it's it's employee engagement and user experience when looking for tooling, when 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 looking for you know what what tools they need to be able to do their job more effectively, how fast they can get those tools, how well they're using those tools. You know, we, we focus a lot on that with our customers, not just, you know, is this license being leveraged? Does somebody have this license? Is it provisioned or is it sitting in a buffer somewhere? Uh, and is it active? Did somebody log in? It really then becomes uh, all about what are the features that are being leveraged inside that platform? What is driving the value of that platform internally inside the business? And I often call that the golden goose of software is defining the value of each software application through adoption and utilization, not just of the license in general, but the features and functionality inside. Um, that's kind of that first component of evaluating software, but then enabling your employees to understand what's out there, what's available for them, uh, what the rest of the organization is using and is fully supported, and the speed to be able to leverage that solution and get to their work and drive innovation without going through red tape and requests and help desk tickets to be able to try to try to get a piece of software that they need to use very, very quickly. Yeah. But maybe, Corey, maybe that's exactly, uh, that's exactly the point. Uh, the whole, um, you know, employee engagement um, aspect I think it's very important if you if you look at it like that. Um, the software asset management to us, of course, is important because we are vendors. This is our bread and butter. But um, it still has kind of a negative touch. Um, if you want to optimize, that means that you take things away. You take software away, regardless if they if it's being used or not. I mean, we have customers that that call it uh, funnily um, use it or lose it. You know, things like that. Um, and uh, um, I think it's it's paired. It's it's a little bit of of um, you know, of of, uh, of angst, if you will, uh, be, uh, because it's a very complex um, scenario. We, we talked a little bit about uh, where software is today. It's on the devices, it's in the cloud, it's a mixture. Then you have hybrid cloud scenarios. You have like all different types of, of software in all different areas. And people are really paranoid when it comes to making changes to their IT infrastructure, also to, also to, their, to their software environment, because they're afraid that their, that their business might suffer from it. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I spoke to a very dear friend of mine and, and he actually introduced me, uh, introduced me to Aspera and uh, he also got me my job, but he also told me a little bit about software asset management, which I didn't know anything about uh, at the time. And he said, it's a rather complex um, area. And um, in order to understand this, you need to be kind of smart. And, and people that are smart enough for that are also smart enough to keep their hands off the topic because it can be so complex and so, um, so, so difficult to understand. Plus it's changing every day. And maybe um, in our worlds, it's just you know a lot of money if, if a Fortune 50, Fortune 100 company can save a million or two million in, in, in software spend to them that might not even be worthwhile getting up in the morning. Um, and to your to your point, uh, Martin, I think um, when you're saying that you would like to investigate the uh, the largest 100 um, companies in the world, I think that's our traditional approach to go to the very large organizations. I think if we make SAM uh, or TAM simpler, if we bring everything together, and Becky talked about this, and I mean at USU we are also bringing. Uh, you know, cloud aspects and on-premise and, and hardware asset management, all these things together, but giving a customer the full transparency of their of their environment, making it easy and not always uh, 
you know, needing like uh, a lot of project time and a lot of effort on, on the customer and to, to deliver that information. Um, if it's easier, if it's simpler, then it's also something for more companies and um, maybe even smaller organizations or, you know, mid-sized organizations can enjoy the benefits and maybe to them, uh, some savings are um, a lot more meaningful than for those large organizations. To your point, Corey, you, you were saying around um, software usage and the traditionally the market has been fo focused on what are people not using because we want to remove it for cost. But as, yes. the, as the industry matures, we'll be more focused on what are they using because we'll be, to, to your point, we want to know what they're using, what they're getting um, the most value from so we can get out of the way. Uh, or if um they're in a sales role and they're not using the crm why not you know and and there's there's a whole dimension of item that we even haven't even touched upon yeah i love the way you articulated that martin it, it is all about what are you using and not just the license the features inside that are driving the effectiveness of that platform i often make a joke that the CMO, the, they're on the search for the value of an advertisement that they're placing in, in whatever type of media they're placing. What is the real return on investment of that, of that placement? Well, the CIO is looking for the same thing from their tools today because they've got hundreds, if not thousands of solutions inside their business, cloud solutions that are being consumed. Well, what's the value of each one of those? And why do we have, why do we have 25 different project management solutions and 40 different you know, um, a file storage and sharing solutions. Well, let's look inside and understand what, what types of groups are using specific software and within that software, what features are they really leveraging? Because if you can isolate that and you can understand the value of each, of each feature within each product, now you can start to map out what the adoption and value is of, of those tools. And, you know, but, and I think that's a little bit high in the sky thinking at a, at a macro level, however, the CIO, their number one concern with the new world of software is governance. You know, they view they view software, you know, not traditional software. They still own those massive deployments that, um, that that they're optimizing in a real way each and every day. But that next that next level is understanding the value and being able to provide governance, which is freedom within a framework. Um, and providing information to their employees so they can select the right software at the right time to do their work effectively. And governance internally for CIOs um, really allows them to, to anchor on that strategy of, of each software title, the right mix, and, and providing them to their employees uh, at the right time. There's a lot to say with that governance story because in the time we've been doing software asset management, IT asset management, there's this, been this tremendous shift of spend from IT to the business units. So Corey mentioned a three letter acronym, which was the CMO. The CMO wants to do this in the business. That wouldn't have happened many years ago. The CMO would have been consulting with the CIO, would have been pro providing proposals, and the CIO would have been dictating that technology. Now, you know, SaaS is being a SaaS vendors, are going directly to those individual business units and the individual business units are actually deciding what they're going to buy. What do their tech stacks look like? There's a MarTech stack. That's all the technology that makes up marketing. There's a sales stack. I'm actually one of the other parts of my roles at Snow is building a product operations team, which is understanding what technology do we need within product to run our business. 
And so the, the rise of all of these ops teams within individual business units is going to is going to necessitate, if it hasn't already, the, the need for this governance. And that's where I think there's a big role for IT asset management in the future in terms of, of not providing governance in the sense of who can have this and who cannot. It's let's let's understand with all this myriad of SaaS applications, who has what, and to Corey, other point, which was who's getting benefit from it. I think that's definitely a future part of the organization. And, and to your earlier question of what industry research, it's also kind of gleaning that what's next. I think it goes back to like, why aren't we implementing more of this? Hey, maybe it's that the problems we're presenting, people don't see it enough. So maybe we have to translate that value in a different way and get industry folks aligned on those ways of communicating value so that we can become a higher CIO priority. Very interesting conversation. Thank you, guys. Um, last last question for you as we wrap things up. Um, we're recording this podcast in the last week of May 2021, if you're listening to it in the back catalogue in the future. Um, we're just about to deliver our America's conference, which, because of coronavirus, is purely online in the next few weeks in early June. Uh, as, as we finish this, wrap this podcast up, guys, I'd love to know what you're seeing in the US market in particular and what are you sparking conversations with regarding your customers and prospects? What what are you likely to be talking about at the conference next in the next few weeks? Um, Becky, if I could come to you first. Big one in the US market is we're opening up more and more every day. There's different states that are coming in and saying we're fully open. Uh, here I live in, in Texas and there's this big music festival called Austin City Limits and it's it's being organized, selling tickets. So so we're opening back up as an economy. With that, the big trend is going to be capturing growth. It's going to be this focus that IT had last year and into this year about resilience and being ready for the knowns and the unknowns is going to be shifted to there's a lot of uh, funding, a lot of venture capital, a lot of our real estate market here in the U.S. is going crazy. There's a lot of money in the market. And there's going to be this pressure on teams to go out there and, and grow and they're going to, and we're going to be looking at it teams to help accelerate that digital transformation and that's going to be a key priority so how do it teams manage both that need to run the business and transform the business at the same time and that's going to be part of the key cio priorities for 2021 and that's part of the uh, of my session at at wisdom is talking about itam in 2021 you know, remaining resilient and being a growth enabler. So it's going to be this topic of how to talk to those CIO priorities and how to unlock the power of ITAM data to really go in and align, you know, the work we do in ITAM with those key CIO priorities. I like it. Thank you. Uh, Matthias, going to come to you next. What, what's uh, what's front of mind for your US customers? Sure. Um, I mean, it's a, a little bit of um, what Becky said, of course. I mean, the, the coming back, um, back to the office, uh, going back to work kind of uh, situation um, is uh, definitely uh, an aspect. I mean, a lot of a lot of companies have uh, have grown significantly in um, in the area of uh, you know remote tools, uh, the, the Zooms, the Slacks, the the collaboration tools, VPN connections, all the things that were necessary to build up and grow because. Uh, because their their uh, employees couldn't come to the office anymore, and, and they needed to emphasize the the remote or the possibility to to work remotely. Um, at the same time, this this will not go away. I don't believe that we will go back to end of 2019, and uh, as many people will work, uh, you know, full time from the office. It might be, but I think it it uh, the, the whole pandemic situation lasted long enough 
for the entire world um, to change. And I think that um, earlier, maybe you work, you know, usually from the office and sometimes from home. Now that might be the other way around where you usually work from home and then maybe a, a few days a week uh, from the office, um, things will change in that respect. That will definitely uh, be an aspect. And um, because people are now working everywhere, um, th this also uh, comes back to, to, uh, to Corey's point from earlier, where is the software? What are they using? How um, frequently are they using it? Are they using it completely? It, would it be possible to maybe dial back the subscription for a certain application and still satisfy their, their business needs? Um, who is using what and, and, and how often and so on and so forth. So the whole aspect of, of metering, of, uh, of harvesting, of um, you know, um, cloud SaaS management, but also um, still, of course, paired with the, with the evergreen in the meantime, uh, of, of you know uh, um, platform as a service and infrastructure as a service aspects where the companies are still going more and more towards the cloud whereas we see a lot of what I mentioned before hybrid cloud scenarios and Gartner was talking about that uh, at length um, um, two years ago I think there was a like a, a the, 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 the large um, conference in, in, in Las Vegas was mostly around this and of course this um, this will still be a, a major aspect. So I think it will most likely be around cloud subscription, transparency, and um, yeah, the, the, the way people use the software these days and how to measure it and how to optimize. Great, thank you, Matthias. And finally, Corey. Yeah, I, 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 Becky and Matthias spoke very, very well on this. We, we saw the same thing in the last 14, 15 months, the pace of innovation and shift to the cloud um uh was was what looked to be the next five to ten years worth of innovation we saw it done very very quickly and what's been left behind is you know the, the I, I would say the the driver of that was speed get your employees enabled get them home get them up and running and now we see leadership coming back to okay what's our strategy here let's back up a second we 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 survived the the global pandemic now it's how do we optimize what we've got? How do we figure out what we've got to Mateus's earlier point? How do we support that hybrid work environment forward? Um, but what that means is when it comes to software to our earlier point that we all spoke about, it's governance. You know, you've, you've really opened up Pandora's box for all software to be used, just get your work done. Now let's take a step back and start to overlay that strategy and governance. What's the automation? Everybody's working from home. How are we automating a lot of these processes? I don't think that's any change over the last couple of decades, but automation around uh, improved and modern tooling is that next layer. And then finally, what we've really seen is um, the emergence of managed services around these large software initiatives that, you know, internally, a lot of organizations tightened their belts, made sure they had the employees in place needed to move forward. And now they're turning to the providers to say, Boy, it's a, it's a different world now where we have thousands of applications internally on-prem and cloud and hybrid, and we need some help. We need to define what that new world looks like. To, to Martin, your earlier point today, it's people, it's expertise, plus a platform to be able to manage that. Mateus, I think you mentioned that. Becky, I think you mentioned that as well. Um, and we see a, a, an emergence of these companies looking to the experts in the field to help them get there because they move so quickly on deployments and supporting products. Well, now they need to move just as quickly on governance and strategy and putting a framework around the new modern way of work. 
So it's an exciting time to be a part of ITAM as a whole and specifically software asset management as well. So you've been listening to Becky Trevino, uh, Snow Software, Corey Wheeler from Xylo and Matthias Knops from USU. Thank you guys. Really appreciate the conversation and thank you for your support on this podcast. Thanks, Thanks Martin.